Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Would you stand for the reading of our word this morning? We stand to honor God with our bodies, but also to remind ourselves that this is much more than an ancient text, but it's a word from the Lord. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 2, 42 through 47. You may be seated. Good morning, church. If you'd open your Bibles or click open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at these verses, verses 42 through 47, in just a moment. Uh, So I was raised in the church, and uh, I didn't always love that growing up, but now as I've become a man, and especially as God got a hold of my life in my teenage years, um, I am so grateful for the foundation that was poured into me and poured around me my entire life when I didn't even know it was taking place. And when I think back of going to church, I think one of my, I just loved particular Sundays. What I loved about them is there was an energy in the place. Uh, It was, the church smelled good, it looked good, people acted differently, there was a vibrancy in all that we were doing. People we didn't see in church regularly were there on those particular Sundays, and it was good to see them, and everyone was happy, and there was a lot of visiting, and it seemed like the the church service was a little bit shorter, It it was pretty powerful. And I found when I went around to our staff, one afternoon I just walked around seeing who was in the office that particular day, and I said, hey, tell me about your experience with this. And it was common. I mean, it was more common than I thought it would be. I thought if I'd say, hey, did you guys ever do this in your church? They'd be go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't meet a single person who hadn't experienced what I experienced. And they had the same energy. And when I talked to him about it, without exaggeration, without stretching this further than I need to, almost every single person smiled when I asked them about this. And they started recollecting what they went through. But the point I want to make is, we didn't all come from the same region of the United States. Just thinking of who's on our staff, here's where we all come from. Missouri, Texas, Nebraska, Kansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Arizona, California, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, Colorado, and God's favorite state, Indiana. We all come from across the globe. (laughs) Now, you may think I'm talking about like Easter or Christmas Eve. No, I'm talking about this. I'm talking about potluck Sundays. Yeah, yeah. And now I found out that they're called different things. They're called carry-ins in some place. And if you're south of the Mason-Dixon line, they're called pitch-ins. I don't know what the heck a pitch-in is, but if it's this, I'm in. So if you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark, and I follow Jesus, and I'm a foodie. And I will not apologize for either one of those statements about myself. I think food is one of the greatest gifts next to air that God's ever given us, and I'm going to celebrate it every day of my life. A common experience. You might be thinking that I'm goofing with you, but I want you to understand I'm not at all. The worship services were wired up those days. Preacher, preach shorter. Amen. The music was livelier. It was happier. People were excited to see each other. 
in the middle of the service, women would pop up and down and go out the back door to go put their food in the oven down in the kitchen or down, downstairs in the basement. In our church, some of you had fellowship halls because you were bigger and rich, but we had a, an old damp basement that had nasty tables and chairs that were metal and pinched your legs when you sat on them. You with me? Now, about 30% of you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to take you with me in just a moment. But for those of us reminiscing, just give us this. You see, when the church service would end, all the women would rush down to the the basement and the men would stay and visit and all the guests would be invited to stay. And the guests would be like, ah, we didn't bring anything and we don't have plates or anything. What I always loved is there were two or three families that always prepared for this. So the men could say to our guests, no, 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 please stay. We have plenty of food. That was a fact. And we have all you need. All you just need to come down. Just have a, have a meal with us. You're free to go. Now, today's culture would be like, ah, I don't know about that. But man, it was fun in my home church. And people would, the women would all go down and prepare. And the men would stay and visit for a while. And then one of the wives would come up and say, we need to get the tables and chairs. I didn't realize that the, the number one qualification for ministry is the ability to move these tables around a building. I think 90% of my job has been moving, back in the day, plywood top tables all over the place. And the men would come down and we'd set up the tables and the, the dads would chase us into the Sunday school classrooms to get those metal folding chairs and we'd put them all around the room and they'd get plastic uh, coverings for the table. And then I don't know who she was, but the queen of the potluck, there always was one. She would come out of the kitchen and nod to the men and that meant we're close. And then all the women would start bringing in all the corningware and the crock pots and all the dishes and lay them on the table. And then that queen of the potluck would look out at the preacher because the preacher was required in the book of Leviticus to say the prayer for the potluck. Nobody else could. He had to, which was a horrible idea because we all pray too long and the food's getting cold. But it was the on your mark, get set moment. During the prayer, we'd break the law by sliding closer and closer to the starting line. Everybody did it. And then the preacher would say, amen. And then my dad would look across the room and shake his head, no. My dad wasn't cruel. My dad was a good father. But he could not stand when the kids rushed the table and the ladies who made the food couldn't get there. So he'd hold us off like dogs. Sit, sit, sit. (laughs) And we would. We'd just be waiting and lurching to go. And some mom would be standing at the table and she would hand her husband and the kids plates and and everything. And then it always happened. It was one of my favorite things. Uh, You'd get your silverware when you get to the front. And I used to make fun of them because it looked so goofy. But the old men, the wise veteran people at these carrions would take their silverware and do this. And here I am, a junior high kid going, geek, what a geek, dad. You had your silverware there. But then I saw my dad do this veteran move. He could sweep by the dessert table and grab a piece of pie. He had an open hand. And I'm like, I'm going to be like him when I grow up. He just knew how to work the room. It was powerful. Ladies would come in and they'd have picnic baskets full of gear. I still laugh about this because it's so sweet memory. Heather and I, as a wedding gift, got a potluck church basket with plastic plates and cups and everything so we could go to church like the pros. (laughs) It was a thing. So you think I'm being goofy. I want those of you who never experienced to walk with me because I'm going to show you why I'm talking about this. On the table would be, oh my goodness, that was a shame. That's potato salad. Well, I've never gotten to eat during preaching. Uh, there was chicken and ham, and, and there were certain kinds of chicken. This wasn't store-bought. This was legit. And there were certain ladies who made chicken in the church, and they made it for Jesus, because my mom would say, get hers. And we would go by, and there was all of this beautiful food. There would be 
pot roast in the crock pots and, and there would be specialty during hunting season, especially in uh, Michigan where we were at for, uh, for two decades, uh, when hunting season came in, someone would bring in elk. And there was enough for everybody, but everybody got a taste. Which I always thought was funny because the man who shot the venison or the elk or whatever, he cooked it. Now the guy couldn't make a cold sandwich on his own, but when it came to the wild meat, he had to be the one who cooked it. And he'd give you a taste of it. And it was powerful. There were potatoes of every variety. Mashed potatoes, au gratin potatoes, scallop potatoes, baked potatoes. It was fantastic. Crockpots full of baked beans and uh, green bean casserole and mac and cheese. Corningware containers full of scalloped corn. Why don't we have scalloped corn anymore? Such a loss to society. <laughs> and I think of all of these foods. Baked spaghetti. First time I ever had taco salad was at a, at a, a, a church carry-in. Potato salad of multiple colors and varieties. I, I think I looked it up on the internet. There are 97 kinds of potato salad, and I've never met a bad one. There were broccoli and raisin salad and fruit salads in season with big strawberries and grapes and pineapple, and it wasn't canned. It was re- legit, so tasty. There were jello, right? Jello was somewhere in the requirement. And there were all kinds of jello, right? Just regular jello and jello whipped, uh, mixed with whipped cream. There was jello with vegetables. Who does that? <laughs> if you want to throw carrots away, just throw them away. <laughs> but you don't put them in a jello dish. And then there were people who put fruit cocktail in the jello, a nice try. And then there were people that cut real strawberries and bananas in jello because they knew how to love. <laughs> and the plate would just be packed there. I remember chunky applesauce that was warmed up with cinnamon on top and it was dessert before dessert always homemade bread homemade rolls there was apple butter and honey butter it was and then there was this 25 gallon container and it was a, called a percolator it wasn't Keurig you couldn't have your own little fancy brand they would make 25 gallons of this nasty hot black tar in a container one of the disciples left And that thing would be bone dry by the end of the day. The adults would sit around and drink cup after cup after cup of this coffee. I don't think they ever washed it. They just put grounds back in it, filled it with tap water. Next week, see you later, right? And I just remember parents sitting around drinking endless cups of coffee. And we would be playing and running around the building and they didn't care because their bellies were full and they were having great fellowship and community. And if that doesn't send your clients... Oh, and by the way, everything on this table is real. And then we'd get to dessert table. It was like glancing into heaven for the very first time in my life. A separate table on the other side of the room. There were so many beautiful things on it. Texas sheet cake. Just plates and plates of little pieces of cake. There was fudge. There was double-layered chocolate cakes. Angel food cake with strawberries was just a a guarantee at my home church. Ah, and then there were pies like God wants. (laughs) In season, there was apple pie and cherry pie and blueberry pie and fantastic pies. And then there were fake pies like French silk and chocolate cream, but <laughs> nice. It was, a, it was an attempt. It was, it was a good effort. But see, this table was full. There were fruit cobblers. Ah, oh, love me a cobbler. See, here's what I want you to know. This table didn't fill itself. Everybody brought something. Everybody contributed. And I told you before, the people that were unsure they wanted to come down to the basement to the meal, it wasn't because they weren't hungry, it's because they knew in their heart, I hadn't prepared anything. And you don't participate in something like this unless you bring something to the table, legitimately. 
But we would say, no, no, because everybody who's ever been to one would say this, there's always enough. Everybody contributed. Everybody participated. And not only is that true, but I can tell you at 56 years of age that I can remember who brought what. I remember what my favorite chicken was. I remember when Alice Burlington bought a bowl of broccoli raisin salad for the first time, and I'm thinking, ah, broccoli. But it was covered in sweetness and raisins and nuts, and it was fantastic. I loved it. Marge Mitchell's deviled eggs are right here. No, I won't share. (laughs) And no, she's in for, yes, she's getting that plate back empty. But those deviled eggs are ridiculous. My mom's peach cobbler. I remember one time my mom complaining to my dad in the kitchen. She's like, Dale, I can make more than cobbler. And we're like, woman, who cares? It is so good. Nobody wants you to bring anything but that because it's awesome. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, they don't ask you every time because they don't think you can cook. No one can make cobbler like you. And she's like, oh. And she got happy again. And the church was happy forever. (laughs) Gwen Brown made lemon freezer pie and it didn't last very long. And I was pouting one time. I was her preacher, and I was pouting. I said, is the pie gone? And she goes, yeah. She brought three, and they were gone like that. And I was like, oh, why did my dad teach me to stand at the end of the line? And then Gwen walked over, and she said, Mark, I wrapped up a piece in the refrigerator for you. I've been spoiled my whole life without complaint. I never missed her pie. Oh, Donna, Mitchell's peanut butter brownies are right here in front of me. That tray's going to be empty by the end of the day. You see, you get what I'm talking about, don't you? Everybody bought their best. Everybody brought more than enough. Everybody's contribution made potlucks what they were. That's why we we enjoyed them. People brought new recipes and old recipes. In fact, I think this is amazing. Donna Mitchell and I were talking about this. She has two of these books that churches put together of potluck recipes because they got so tired of saying, give me your recipe. They finally just put them all together in these books. I'll be auctioning these off in the foyer. So if you think I'm just being goofy, I want you to understand this imagery is what I believe Luke is talking about in Acts chapter 2. I want you to look at the text with me this morning. As we complete this series on pathways, I want you to realize that God gave the resurrection. God gave the Holy Spirit. God gave the authority of the scriptures. God put this all together. But there was another component that compelled and propelled the church forward. It's the same thing available to us today. It's one another. It's community. The life of a disciple is never meant to live alone. It's not a journey we take on our own. It's a journey just like this meal, where everybody contributes, everybody participates, and everybody enjoys. It's a celebration. I want you to look with me at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So just without even knowing this morning, Dan McGrew, one of our elders, before they were praying with me this morning, before first hour, uh, he said, so which one of the four is most important? Because he knew I was going to talk about this concept of community. And I said, actually, those four aren't as important as the first two words. They devoted. They devoted themselves. The word devoted doesn't happen by accident. It's not an occasional thing. It's a choice. What propelled the church forward with the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, the resurrection, the hope, and all that Christ was doing? It wasn't just that God gave them things. It's that together they devoted themselves to these things. This is what the Pathway series has been about. 
Will we devote ourselves to what God has given us to grow us? And it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship is a word the church has kind of co-opted, but it wasn't always that way. Now, yes, the fellowship on those Sunday afternoons after church in the tiny little church in Indiana where there was 100 people. Oh, and by the way, on very, very special occasions, like holy holidays, someone would bring homemade ice cream. And I knew it was a special holiday. Here's why. Because that person wouldn't have come to church that morning because they were out in the parking lot making the ice cream and nobody judged. We were just grateful. We're like, if you're going to skip church, that's the reason to skip church. And they would bring in that container and everyone would get a scoop with their cobbler or their pie or, oh, good days. Somebody was sacrificing. My mom once said that it cost her more to prepare what she brought to a carry-in than it did to feed our family for lunch. So it wasn't just a sacrifice of time. It was a sacrifice of resources and energy and care and concern. And this is what Luke is telling us. When he did his research, the early church grew because they devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They made this important. They didn't make it optional. They chose to devote themselves, a community of people, a partnership, a choice to choose one another, a choice to change one another, a choice to serve one another. And it's not just the food and the conversation and the drinking of the coffee and the, the breaking down the tables and clearing up the basement and people staying to church till two or three in the afternoon, which no one ever did, but they did willingly. And it was just a glorious day. Why? Because everybody brought their best. Everybody received a blessing. Everybody was a part of the family by choice. You see, it's as much a spiritual space as it is a physical thing. They gathered together for a goal, to build up, to stimulate, to hold each other up, to love each other. The simplest way I can put it is 60 times in your New Testament, there is a one another command. We talk about this regularly around here, but let's just emphasize it one more time. These one another commands, 60 different, now there's not 60 different ones, but 60 different times this combination of 30 some one another's are used. Now, I'm not a math major, but I can tell you this, you cannot one another yourself. You can only one another, one another. It is community. And if you want to know what the life in Christ looks like in service, it is one anothering the world. Pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bless one another, love one another. It goes on and on and on. That is what community is. And it's what propelled the Christians forward with the gifts that God gave them. Why is it needed? It's a fair question in our culture. I'm going to confess, I'm as busy as you. I'm as preoccupied with what's going on in my world. We all know this. Life is hard. It's not hard occasionally. Life is hard daily. And it's hard. And so another thing to do, another place to go, another discussion to have, preacher, I don't have the space for it. Devote yourself to what matters, and those lesser things will fall away. Don't give up the greater things to keep doing the lesser things. We have to one another one another. Why is it needed? Verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Why is it needed? Because the church gathered to discover need. The church gathered to discover needs. You cannot discover needs from a distance. You must discover needs in person. And the church gathered together to check on one another, to encourage and strengthen one another, 
So in a culture that says, why? I don't have time to care about other people because no one's caring for me. Why is this so needed? Because life, when it's seemingly under con- or out of our control, we need help. Ask the families who have had extended stays in hospitals recently, 30-plus days in COVID units or ICU units, and their loved ones can't go in. I learned something in ministry. Part of the best part of ministry has been taken from us the last year and a half. It's the ability to walk into a hospital room and pray with someone and encourage them and let them know that they matter. We have people in hospitals who don't have anybody, not even their own family can go in. We have family who wants to see if they're okay. They don't know what to do. Ask them how important community is, and they'll give you an answer. Ask our business owners in this community who lost their businesses and their livelihoods because of a lack of community, because we couldn't get together. And they will tell you how important community is. Ask the single mom whose husband left and she's raising her children on a single income. Ask her how important community is. Look at what our Right Here, Right Now ministry attempts to do in this community. And I will tell you, people will say, without others caring for them, they would not have made it. When we ask why community, it may be because we're living pretty scholarship lives when others around us are not. You want to know how important community is? Ask the Christians in Afghanistan today. If you want to know how important community is, ask the people of Haiti today how much others caring for them matters. Ask the people in Louisiana and on the East Coast and all the damage that the hurricane has taken. Ask them if it matters today. And you know the answer is yes. The church gathers to assess need and to care for one another, but it has to take place in person. I can write a check to the Red Cross or I can walk across the street and ask my neighbor how he is. And both of them serve a purpose. One of them makes a greater impact. So let me be very pointed on this. The level of community that we're called to, the level of community that God blesses, The the level of connection that God desires for us as we gather around this table with everyone bringing their best, it cannot happen through a podcast and it does not happen through a television or computer screen. Observing other people worship may be a necessity because of a health condition or a circumstance going on in your life. You and I will never find true community on a computer screen. It has to be in person. It has to be in conversations. And even this level of community is good But the level of community that matters is what takes place in that hallway, that foyer, that hallway, and the parking lots. When people know each other's names and they care about one another and we go above and beyond, we gather together to assess the need. How do we do this? I'm going to be very practical. It's found in verses 46 and 47. There is a strategy by what we do on Sundays and throughout the week. And it's not an optional. It's not a pick an A or a B. It's actually expected of both. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want you to notice right there in verse 46, there are two pillars to community that are essential to all of our lives. There is the big group and there is the small group. There is the big group where they met in the temple Acres of open real estate that they would gather. The Jews, the non-Jews, the men and the women would all gather together. The apostles would instruct, they would teach, they would encourage, they would pray together, they would care for one another, and then they would go home. 
And in their homes, they would gather with smaller groups of people of like mind, and this is where they assessed what was needed, and this is how they met what was needed. Unfortunately, and I'm not, I'm not throwing daggers here, I'm just encouraging you to consider this. If the early church was propelled by the community that was founded on the large gathering and the small gathering, choosing one or the other isn't enough. There are seasons when you can't do both. But to neglect both is to miss the opportunity that Luke found so important to point out. So we have a debate in our country. Is the big church working or is the small church working? If God's in it, they all work. If it's all about the Sunday morning and how many people gather in a room, yeah, it's, it's tough to have connections with everybody in here. I grew up in a church that has never gotten over 100 people. I knew everybody's name and unfortunately they knew every one of my stories. Those people loved me and battled for me and they were there for me. And when I think about tables like this, I think about Sunday school teachers. I think about a man named Bill Fusick who every year for my birthday up to the age of 10 gave me a silver dollar for every one of my years. And I remember on my 10th birthday, Mr. Fusick shook my hand and he said, Mark, I only do it until you're 10 years of age. And I was like, thank you. And I gave him a hug and he gave me this little wrapped up sandwich bag with 10 silver dollars in it. And when I went to college, for four years in college, <clears throat> he still did it. He didn't have to. Why would he take care of a college kid? And I remember one year, my senior year, 21 silver dollars. And a little note in it said, don't spend it on cigarettes. <laughs> that was Mr. Fusick. I think of him, community. He knew me, he wasn't my dad, he wasn't family, he just cared about kids in the church and he loved us well. This is why we do it. This is how we do it. This is what God wants for us. Look at Ephesians chapter four. This church, this congregation, Christ Church of Orinogo and our leadership, we're committed that the definition of a church is found in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Now there are other passages that are as good, but this is rich. Let's read. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. They devoted themselves. People didn't devote for them. They devoted themselves. Look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, completeness in Jesus then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. We need each other. It's how God does this. It's in community that everyone contributes, everyone bringing their gifts, everyone bringing their talents, everyone making their sacrifices so that all get blessed. But I didn't come with anything today. It's okay, there's enough. But next time we gather, Bring your best. When does it happen? Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet. Every day they devoted themselves. Now, is this suggesting that we have to get together and have a potluck every day? I wish. <laughs> but I know it's not going to happen. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? I don't get to see my family. Devote yourself to the things of God first and let the other things sort themselves out. Because when you do, God is going to grow you in a way that your capacity increases and your opportunities increase as well. Frequently and consistently is always better than infrequently and inconsistently. Have a temple experience together 
and then have a common experience with the group. In fact, the word community means common unity. We focus ourselves around this. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, they devoted themselves to gathering weekly. I know for many of you that attend Sunday mornings, I want to remind you, we have a Thursday night service, which is the same message, the same focus, and it's on Thursday nights for people who cannot come on Sundays. And we have a number of people on Thursday night who cannot attend on the weekends because of work, single moms, people that work in the medical industry, and people who have weekend shifts who can't. They come on Thursday night. We want to encourage you. I know it's really easy to go, well, we'll just skip this weekend. Devote yourself to the things of God first and watch what he does in your life. You don't have to be here, but would you devote yourself to be, to be a part of this gathering, to encourage those around you? You have no idea how when I see your face on a Sunday morning, I'm encouraged that you cared enough to be a part of us. Not to hear me preach, but to be a part of the community. They devoted themselves. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 is an encouragement. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do not be mistaken. I am not asking you to come to church. I am asking you to bring something to the table. I'm asking you to come and contribute. To contribute to those sitting to your right and left, front and back right now. People you don't know yet, but will spend eternity in heaven with. I'm calling all of us to devote ourselves to the things of God, to take advantage of community and find real, true partnership and fellowship. I know this may sound cheesy and manipulative, but I believe it's true. Jesus availed himself to all of it. He gathered in the temple, teaching and encouraging and bringing his gifting. He had a group of 12 that he was discipling and pouring his life into. He had a smaller group within those 12 of three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent an amount of time with separate from the others. And we don't know all the makeup of that, but we know this, that he cared about those things. He brought his best, and they then learned from him how to bring their best into the book of Acts and the future of our church. Jesus gathered those 12 around a table. He broke some bread and some wine. I love how God uses food. And in the middle of a meal, remembering God's faithfulness, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Jesus filled our table with blessing that we might sit and eat. Eat his flesh and drink his blood and enter into a covenant with him. And then he said, and this will be the last time I do this with you till we do it again renewed in my kingdom. And one day, all of us will gather at the greatest feast ever known to anybody. And we will eat and drink tribute to our king. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Today I would ask you to take the elements of the Lord's Supper, and before you eat or drink, I would ask you simply to thank our Father for the gift of Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. It is our common unity. It's why we call this communion. Together we eat, together we drink, to the goodness of our King. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.